The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome again to the behavioral corner with me, your host, Steve Martorano. Uh, what do we do on the corner? Well, we hang. That's what corners are for, right? You hang on the corner. We talk about all kinds of things. I like to say this is a podcast about everything because everything at the end of the day affects our behavioral health, mentally, physically, spiritually, a whole enchilada here on the Behavioral Corner. Uh, the Corner is made possible by our great partners, our Retreat Behavioral Health. Uh, you'll hear more about them coming up. Uh, but we reach out to them, not only do they great financial support and, you know, and, uh, and, and every other way they support us, but they are an endless font of just terrific people who know what they're talking about when we talk about mental uh, health and, and certainly substance abuse recovery. And that's the case today. September's National Recovery Month. It's a month every year when we step back and take a look at the one thing about the topic that I don't think gets really enough attention, and that's people get better. People get better from a host of ailments that look daunting and they're always life-threatening and sometimes appear so dark that there's no way out. But the truth of the matter is, in terms of both mental health and substance abuse recovery, millions and millions of people do recover. So that's what Recovery Month is all about. That's what we're doing here on The Corner, a bunch of episodes in September, where we take a look at uh, the many paths to recovery uh, from both substance abuse and mental health issues, the treatments that are available. And finally, what are we actually talking about when we speak of recovery? To that end, we welcome Ben Champion to the program. Ben, thank you so much. Ben is, uh, as I said, one of another resource for retreat. He is with Retreat Behavioral Health in a specific area of concern for us today, and that is their outpatient treatment facilities. Ben, thanks for joining us on the corner. Absolutely. And congratulations. You come in second, unfortunately, second in the coolest name of any guest we've ever had. And champion, as I told you earlier, should really be on a box of cereal. Such a cool name. Uh, so congratulations. Unfortunately, way back when, we interviewed a great woman who herself is in long-term recovery, but her name was Nikki Soda, S-O-D-A, right? I mean, you got to admit, it gives a little nudge to champion. Anyway, Ben, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about it in the context of the treatment available in an outpatient setting. We'll get to that in a second. But Ben, fill us in on you. Tell us a little about your background. So I am uh, an alumni of Retreat Behavioral Health. I came through in 2016, um, and I'm blessed to have six years continuous sobriety. Um, and ever since I went in as a client, I have stuck around Retreat, and now I am employed and running their outpatients. Yeah, it's so it's fantastic. And, you, and you've done a, a, a lot of things during that period of time. Congratulations, by the way, on the six years. That's great. For those of you who may not know, Retreat Behavioral Health has a world-class reputation and have had it for many years in the substance abuse 
and treatment field. Further, they have often had to deal with mental health issues in that context, but they created a separate unit, as it were, a division, a synergy mental health services, and they deal with exclusively mental health issues. In other words, you needn't be abusing substances to avail yourself of retreats, synergy programs. Ben is now in the outpatient arena. So let's begin at the beginning. What is OP, as it's referred to, and how does it differ from residential treatment? Outpatient treatment, you can come technically off the streets. You can reach out to us and we can make a determination to see what the proper fit for you is. But outpatient's a place that is less restrictive than an inpatient setting. Of course, you can come and go, but it's also a place where you get to learn about yourself and also utilize those skills that you learn while in programming and use them in the real world as well. And it gives you a real time view of what you're learning and what you need to work on. So I always found that outpatient really helps those who are on that in-between moment of, do I really need inpatient or outpatient? Hitting outpatient first really helps you clarify what your needs are and how they could be met. And we can determine that at a better um, accuracy, you know, at an outpatient level to help determine where you need to be. I guess in one, in one sense, it's easier for people who want to take that most crucial step and get help, that first step, if they can do it in the context of, well, I don't have to go any place for 28 days or, or six months. So it's sort of getting your feet wet. Does it work the other way around as well? If people who've gone through a residential program think they need additional treatment, can they become an outpatient? Oh, absolutely. So in many places like our own Most people go into a residential setting, detox residential, and their aftercare plan, which they develop with their case management team, is most likely designed to give those people an opportunity to go into an outpatient setting to, again, grow further on the skills and the techniques they learn to help their recovery at an inpatient setting. Again, it gives them that real-time chance to practice. Yeah. It would seem to me the layperson would go, wow. Let me take that one. That's the easy one. I go after work or I go, you know, when I don't have any classes or when I feel like it. I mean, there must be a lot of misconceptions about what outpatient therapy is all about. What are some that come to mind? I think exactly what you were stating in the sense that people believe that there is a more free nature in an outpatient setting. Again, you have different levels of outpatient. You have an intensive program, intensive outpatient program, and then you have a general outpatient program. So a lot of people's misconception going into it is, I believe I only need X amount of help. And that's where the professionals uh, that we're surrounded by can come in and help those people really understand what the level of severity of their alcohol or mental health is and how we can produce a plan to help them better understand and grow from that. Yeah, we're sort of in the golden age now because of the University of Google for people to uh, self-diagnose. Absolutely. Let me just go Google what's bothering me, and then I'll go tell them what I need. It doesn't often work like that. Uh, you mentioned the levels of outpatient therapy, and you said intensive outpatient. What is that? Yes. So we have intensive outpatient, which is a more structured program um, designed for nine plus hours a week for clients to be in a structured group setting. For myself, I went through an IOP program, and what it really helped me with is structuring not only the moments I was in there, but structuring my day and having a routine to base my life around. 
especially an early recovery routine is a huge thing for all of us. Mm-hmm. Is it often the case that people will enter into an intensive outpatient setting and then move up into a residential situation? Does it work like that? There are times like that. Again, if somebody comes in and they may not be ready for this level of care, the IOP level care, or even general outpatient, we can help make that determination and get them set up at an inpatient level with hopes that they can kind of detox, get themselves calm, and they can come back to us at a level where they're ready. Mm-hmm. I guess another misconception that comes to my mind, and I've heard this over the years, is, oh, yeah, those outpatient things, that's for guys that get DUIs. And the court said, you got to go get treatment or you're going to jail. It's so much more than that. But, but that's also a misconception, right? Yes. There's many times where people unfortunately get DUIs or find themselves in legal troubles where inpatient would really help them understand what their issues are. A lot of people come to the outpatient setting, like you're saying, to just take care of the problem, to get the courts off their backs or whatever it is. And there are people that can go through that system and do it that way. But more often than not, you'll find that there's a history of issues that cause that DUI, whatever accident. So there's more investigating that needs to be done. And the patient needs to really look inside themselves and say, hey, is this a trend I'm going towards? During the process, when the uh, clinicians at the intake point are evaluating the person, how mindful are they of getting this person in the right kind of program that will help whatever's ailing them, but won't so disrupt their lives as to make the problem even worse? Is that part of what OP is about, to get the person that really needs that kind of care rather than take them out of their setting completely? Absolutely. I think especially with my team down in Florida, we definitely take care of patients and want to meet them where they're at with the expectation that they acknowledge that we are professionals and we are going to look out for their best interests. But we also have to, like you said, make accommodations because we can't disrupt somebody's full life that may set them back further. Mm -hmm. So we really take time to really understand the patient before they come in, try to make sure we can adequately take care of their needs at the basis that they're coming to us to. And then that's where our therapists come into play and say, hey, maybe this assessment needs a little more detail into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine line, I know, because you want to get them the care that they absolutely need. You've got to be mindful. Some of these people, I know you know this, some of these people are the sole support of their families. It's hard to get mom out of the house when there are maybe children involved. So outpatient is for that person. And again, all in the service of recovery. I, I, uh, it couldn't be clearer to me, but people, you know this, people think outpatient. That's for me. It sounds like part-time something, you know? Yes. A lot of people jump at the word outpatient and think, ooh, I can not fully put myself in the recovery world yet and just, you know, take a taste of it. So not everybody yet knows where I'm at. Yeah. And unfortunately, that sometimes hinders a lot of people. And other times it helps people to fully understand where they need to be and see that there's caring people in the world who really want to help them through this pain. Yeah. Well, you've been there, done that, as you said, uh, six years now sober. Can you easily spot that person that's sitting in front of you going far out, three days a week, piece of cake? Can You, you can see that, can't you? Absolutely. We see it daily. And the beautiful thing about the people we're surrounded with and what we work with is that they see it also, and we take care of those. We meet them where they're at, but we also acknowledge that we have a little more understanding and knowledge. And we try to meet them where they're at and also guide them by using the knowledge that they have as well. Yeah, you're right. You don't want to blow them out completely. You want to make sure they understand we're trying to get you where you need to be. 
So, all right, let's talk some specifics here. What types of disorders does retreat in their outpatient uh, facilities uh, deal with? And uh, in addition to which, uh, what kinds of treatments are available? So let's start with the disorders. You're not dealing with severe like schizophrenia or we do have some that come to us with those diagnoses. That right? Again, that's up to our clinical team. Our clinical team really does a great job to ensure that every client can meet the criteria needed and that they will be a proper fit and that we're able to give them the care they need, especially at that outpatient level. But I mentioned something like schizophrenia. You are not a psych hospital. As you said, you come and go in an outpatient situation. And even in a residential setting, again, you're not there against your will. You're there because you volunteered to be there. So. Give me some of the mood disorders you guys treat in an outpatient setting. I mean, can you really treat somebody as an outpatient who's suffering from depression, deep depression? I think you can. I think if you have the right team in place, you have the right barriers for if the patient acts a certain way. I think if the team itself surrounds the patient, fully understands the patient, you can handle it. But then again, that's where a therapist's compassion really comes into play, where they can admit, hey, this may be a little much for us. We want to put you in the right setting. And sometimes, especially with major depression, you want to make sure that you can constantly be in touch with that patient or that client to ensure their safety. With regard to substance abuse disorders, again, I ask the question that a lot of people say to me, Steve, is, come on, really? If you got a serious drug or alcohol disorder, can that really be treated on an outpatient? How do you measure in terms of that? I mean, do you drug test in an outpatient situation? Absolutely. We drug test patients, uh, fentanyl tests. Unfortunately, now that has to be a separate test because that's so prolific. Um, There's a separate test for just for fentanyl in their system? Yes. Yes. They had to uh, come up with a new test just to test for fentanyl, unfortunately. Um, so we do test for all those items. And even when you come in for an eval, we will test you to make sure what you're reporting to us is matching up with what the toxicology is. Because we want to assure, again, your safety. Because a lot of people, like you said, outpatient is a lot easier to get into, and maybe I don't have to tell as much of the truth. So we ensure that you know we get UAs on people, which is a urine analysis, to confirm that they are truly coming into us for what they say, and yeah. that there's no risk for them to go into a withdrawal of any sort. And ben Champion is our guest. He is with Retreat Behavioral Health in their West Palm Beach facility. He uh, is now involved in their outpatient uh, therapy programs. Are there situations where, and it's unfortunate because there's still stigma attached to admitting you have a mental or a substance abuse issue. Is it often the case uh, that uh, people will choose an outpatient setting as a cover? In other words, it'll be easier to hide this. Do they do that? And is it a mistake? Absolutely. I People will come to an outpatient setting um, in fear of going into a population, you know, of a hundred plus people. Mm -hmm. So they'll definitely come to an outpatient setting, hoping to blend in, hoping to fly under the radar. And for some people that is very understandable, depending on your job and, and things of that nature. But for most of us, it's uh, a mechanism to defend ourselves from telling the real truth and the whole truth. Because once we're at an outpatient setting, we kind of get to decide when we come and go. So we can be as truthful or non-truthful as we want compared to an inpatient setting where it's where you're finally admitting, okay, I have a problem that I need to take a major break from this substance to handle. 
So once somebody's identified that they're not feeling right, their lives are being negatively impacted by one thing or another, and they look for help and they wind up in front of someone like you, um, what sort of treatment after the diagnosis is made and after a plan is uh, put in place, what can they expect in terms of treatments? What sort of stuff do you guys do? So we do a lot of individual therapy once we get them in, you know, depending on his mental health or uh, substance abuse, we always offer individual therapy as well. And thankfully, each one of our therapists can specialize in a different technique or a different way of therapy, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of our therapists have different techniques and different special abilities that they can lend to help people. So, so these are the evidence-based kind of treatments that they, you would find at any residential facility Absolutely. as well. So on any given day when you're an outpatient and you go in for some therapy, we're not talking about a group that sits around like we see on television and the movies, where like an AA meeting or any support group meeting. You're in the trenches with these people working on. I'm surprised to hear that you guys also offer individual counseling. Is that often most often the case, or do, or do most people get their therapy in groups? Most people get them in groups. Uh, each site for us is individualized, and in, you know the type of therapy they offer, but. In most contracts, thankfully, it is offered as part of the program is that they get individual therapy. And from what I found is maybe that individual therapy might not be the same as if you do at a private practice, but it helps the client start understanding what the importance of that one-on-one time with the therapist is and learning how to open up to an individual. Ben, how often do people arrive for outpatient therapy who, who have already been diagnosed by maybe their primary care physician or a psychiatrist or somebody? And how often do you guys have to make that determination of what's happening. I would say it's a 50-50 split for what we've seen right now. Uh, Like we were talking about earlier, a lot of people are hopping on Google at this time to self-diagnose. Right. So we are getting more of an influx of that due to social media, which is a pro and con. The pro of it is more people are seeking the help. The con is, are people truly seeking the help for the beneficial needs or because it's a popular trend nowadays? How did you guys handle outpatient therapy during the pandemic? Did you do it all virtually? Yep. We went to uh, Zoom and to be honest, it went really, really smoothly. A lot of the younger population really surprised a lot of us by being connected and really engaging in it. And it was a very, very cool thing for not only me to see, but our therapist to say, hey, this 20-year-old has kept his phone focused for the last three hours. So it was a really, really bright spot for us all. Whenever I hear people say, well, something's lost, the contact, the body language, I recognize that as real. I did my career for a, a lot of years when I did this, what you and I are doing, but the person was sitting across the console from me. There is a, a certain more intimate contact there. I agree with you. I think young people have been in front of screens often enough now. All the cues are there. They get it, right? The biggest thing between... Zoom and in person, especially when you break it down to individual programs, such as such substance abuse and mental health, mental health is more of a body language driven approach. Most people with mental health, they hide things in their facial expressions. Um, I know for myself, when my anxiety flares up, it's my legs shake. So the pros with telehealth is yes, we can connect with more people at a farther reach, but the con is also you miss that one-on-one interpersonal relationship where somebody can really read you not only 
the words coming out of your mouth, but your body language. And especially mm-hmm. in mental health, that's a big thing. It's understanding yeah. somebody's body language. How long were you in outpatient therapy? I was blessed. I got to stay almost a little bit over a year. Um, I had As an outpatient? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, I went through the whole PHP, which lasted about a month. Uh, then that's a step down level. You go to an IOP, which is intensive outpatient. Did that probably for about three, four months. And then you got your general outpatient, which is usually a two day a week program, almost like a check-in. You're back in reality in the real world, but you still have that connection point to work on things with your therapist. Yeah, it's a great point to remind us. I say this so many times to people with regards to uh, getting well, or in this case, we're talking about recovering. It's a process. It's a, a process that's made up of many different components. Outpatient therapy is certainly a, a, a huge one, a huge one. Finally, since the length of these things is a, based upon the, you know, the individual, is there anything you can tell us about who best qualifies for this? If somebody's sitting out there going, well, I don't know, do I need residential therapy? Who do you think sort of fits the mold if that's the case for OP? I think those who fit the mold are those who are starting that soul searching, those who are starting to ask the questions that we all ask is, is this becoming a problem for me? Am I harming my family? Or we, if we start looking more at the daily activities we go through and we're noticing that we're not being the same person we thought we were, that's a good time, I think, for a lot of people to reach out to an outpatient program and say, hey, this may be the beginning of something. At the end of the day, it will do no harm from asking for help. All it can do is do positive for you. So I would say to anybody who's sitting there and just wondering what the next step is or how do I recover, feel free to reach out to us. All of us care and want to help. And we we understand that. We understand that this is a hard decision for anybody to admit that they need help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ben, it, you know, uh, it's a uh, interesting topic. And uh, thanks for clearing up all the uh, misconceptions, because I, I know you agree that too many people go, oh, that's fast and easy. I'll do that. Nothing that's lasting a long time is fast and easy. Uh, I ask, I'm going to ask everybody this during our uh, National Recovery Month programs. When we talk about recovery, what are we speaking of? I know it's different for different people, but in general, when can people, yourself included, when can you confidently say, I'm in recovery, I'm recovering? I think, like you said, for each person, there is a place that we hit. For myself, it was the achievement of having my family back in my life in the sense that when I would reach out to them, it was for not for money or help. It was because I cared again. Mm-hmm. I think each person crosses that. It could be a relationship that we're gained back. It could be the job that we're steady at, or it could be that happiness in our heart that's finally back. So I think each person takes that journey themselves. But I think the best thing is once you put down that drink or once you giving yourself that chance to take that first step, you got to be proud of yourself and pat yourself on the back because there's plenty of people out there still wondering what the first step is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. Lots of people mistake being in recovery with the notion of having recovered. Uh, You can lead a whole healthy, well-adjusted and happy life and still be depressed every now and then or still have anxiety issues. I think it's a daily reprieve thing. You know, I think it's something every day we work on. We can be in recovery for 20, 30 years, but every day it matters what we do and how we act. Yeah. Well, Ben, thanks so much. You've been through a lot yourself. I know that. And I'm always fascinated by folks who then decide, you know, 
I feel great about what's happened to me. I think I'll, I think I'll try to help others. When did you, when did that moment occur for you? Like, this is what I want to do. Um, it's been in my life ever since I was a child. I was uh, adopted from Honduras as a baby. Um, and my mother always, since I was younger said, you're going to go into a field somewhere in your life that helps others. And I think I'm blessed that I had to go through these trials and tribulation of alcoholism. So now I get to help people that I truly understand and I truly have a heart to help. Yeah. Yeah. You got where you're supposed to go. It took a little, uh, it took a little side adventure, (laughs) a couple of bumps along the way, uh, Ben champion from retreat behavioral health, uh, and their outpatient programs. By the way, everything you hear, anything you hear on this program, whether it relates directly to retreat or not, if you call retreat or go to their website, you'll, you'll find, I think you'll find some answers. I know if you call retreat, someone will answer the phone, which is a, a refreshing change in our life. Ben, thanks so much. I know we crossed paths several years back during a, an outdoor event for retreat. I'm glad to get you uh, one-on-one like this. Uh, Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's, it's been uh, it's a real, uh, real informational for us. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you all. Don't forget to uh, listen, follow, do the whole nine yards for the Behavioral Corner, and we'll catch you next time. Millions of Americans are negatively affected daily by their mental health. Retreat has served the community for over 10 years, offering comprehensive mental health programming through our mental health division, Synergy Health Programs. To learn more about Synergy, please reach out today at 855-802-6600. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On the Behavioral Corner.